Good morning, church. So today's reading is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 to 21. And you can find that on page 1162 in the church Bibles. That's page 1162. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are, therefore, Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can talk among yourselves for a minute. Hey. Well, my name's Joss McCabe. I'm part of the church family of St. Jude's, and I'm an ambassador for Christ. And if you follow the Lord Jesus, what the reading that you've just heard Lewis read so well tells you that you too are an ambassador for Christ and involved in his ministry of reconciliation. I'm going to read that reading again, but just from a slightly different version. So here it goes. We don't look at Jesus that way anymore. Now we look inside. And what we see is that anyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh start, is created new. The old life's gone, a new life burgeons. Look at it. All of it comes from God who settled the relationship between us and him and called us to settle our relationship with each other. God put the world square with himself through the Messiah, giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. God has given us, that's me, that's you, the task of telling everyone what he's doing. We're Christ's representatives. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter into God's work of making things right. We're speaking for Christ himself. Become friends with God. He's already a friend 
with you. That's wonderful. Uh, you know, peace is mentioned in the Old Testament 237 times and 91 in the New Testament. That's according to Mr. Google, not according to Joss McCabe. In the New Testament, the word Irene, and she's not here to hear it, I see, uh, translate to our word serenity, calm. Isn't that lovely? But in the Bible, in the original Hebrew language, peace is translated and is called shalom. And I wonder what you think peace is. If you are Ukrainian, you probably think first and foremost, it's the absence of war. The Oxford English Dictionary says it's a state of being calm or quiet. On the news, we don't see much about it. Ruth, when she prayed, mentioned some of the areas where there's conflict. You know, a good day in this beautiful world, but this broken world, means there are no more, no more than 12 wars. No more. This is not a good day, because there are more than 12 wars. Some of them vast, like what's happening in Ukraine. Some of them much more lower level. But people are still dying and being hurt by them. The Bible, shalom, peace, does mean an absence of conflict, but much more. It's not just about being quiet and calm. It means completeness, wholeness, wellness, unity, joining together. And it points to the presence of something, or rather, someone else. In Hebrew, God is called Yahweh Shalom. It's one of the names of God himself. And if you read the Old Testament book of Judges, chapter 6, verses 24, you'll see it translated, the Lord is peace. Quite ironic because the person who speaks to it is about to become a soldier and lead his country in a war of liberation. His name was Gideon. God is peace. It's part of his character. It's the ideal. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And the Old Testament prophesies about the coming of Christ. And Isaiah calls him the Prince of Peace. He personifies God in human form and he is the physical embodiment of peace.
peace. If you want to know what peace is like, look at Jesus. Peace from God is an unearned gift. And it's also a fruit. In the Old Testament, it's called the priestly blessing. And it talks about the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. God's peace is a gift. In the New Testament, the book of Philippians, Paul's letter to the church there, talks about praying and giving our burdens to God. And then he says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's a gift. But you know, to get a gift, you have to do one thing. You've got to accept it. You've got to accept it. And if we accept it, the amazing, wonderful power of God through the Holy Spirit grows that gift in our lives. And it's a fruit, a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It should be, hey, I exhibit it very imperfectly. I do. And we all will. But nevertheless, God encourages us in our lives to exhibit and grow peace from within in the power of the Holy Spirit. We've talked about Ukraine, and I'm going to read a letter from the Archbishop of Canterbury in York. Some of you may have read it. It was in the diocesan news sheet. Uh, you may have just thought, mm, but it's powerful. I'm not going to read it all, but it says this. Uh, chapter 14 of John's Gospel, Jesus speaks to his disciples at the Last Supper. That's the night before Jesus was crucified. And he leaves them his peace. It's not a mere greeting, but it's something deep and abiding. The peace that only Jesus gives. It's a gratuitous gift. A way of living. Something to be received. For the gift of peace is the gift of Jesus himself. That's why the Lord is able to offer reassurance to our hearts, why those who receive the gift of the peace of Christ at the deepest of levels shouldn't be afraid. It's more than the absence of war. It's a gift, but it's also a decision, a gift that must be received. It's a choice that we make that shapes the way we live well alongside each other and it characterizes our relationship with God. It comes into being by seeking justice. One of the reasons that we in the communion service and nearly every Christian denomination, I can't think of one that doesn't, talks about offering a sign of peace to each other. It's reconciliation with each other before we come to God, who gives us his reconciliation through Christ. But you know, the Bible is quite honest about peace and the lack of peace. 
And because the church is made up of broken people like me and like you, the church hasn't always brought peace and reconciliation. Neil talked about praying for Northern Ireland, my homeland. And it pains me deeply that for many years, not in all cases, but judgmental me would probably say in the majority of cases across denominations, the church didn't preach peace and reconciliation. It helped cause division. But hey, don't throw a stone at Northern Ireland. Look at the scandals involving safeguarding. Look at the church siding with the powerful. But you know, thanks be to God as well that there's shining witness in his broken church as well. There's the medieval practice of the church caring for the poor. And in churches, you find the hospitals. You have the ministry of John Wesley in the 18th century, a gospel ministry talking about reconciling to Christ, but through it, transforming the social order in society, speaking out against child labor, slavery, creating schools and good works. And today, thank God you have the church again, working, caring for the poor, the needy. Thank God in this church we prayed for hope into action. We have Friday Fridge and we have other ministries that show that peace and reconciliation that God wants. Let's look just a little bit more at how Jesus brings peace and reconciliation and what we can do in our lives to follow him. Hey, there we go. First and foremost, Jesus brings peace and reconciliation with God. It says in the book of Colossians, Paul's letter to the church there, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. That's in Jesus. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through the blood of Jesus shed on the cross. And we can accept that. You know, th this is one of the bits of the Bible that give me a tingle. Uh, and I I'm just going to read it again in the message because it uh, just really speaks to me this little bit. And it says this. From beginning to end, he's there. That's Jesus. Towering far above everything and everyone. So spacious is he, so roomy, that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms get properly fixed and fit together. All because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. There's the good news. Jesus fixes everything. We don't see all of that in its fullness yet. But one day, 
we follow Christ and are faithful, we will. Everything, everything gets fixed. Isn't that the best news? I get fixed. You get fixed. Everything. No more climate change. A new heaven, a new earth. No more death. No more pain. No more war. Peace. God's shalom peace reigns. Now you and I can't obviously do what Jesus did. But in our reading, we're called to represent Christ. This this hangs up in what I call a study. I'm quite proud of it in a way. The top of it has a signature. The signature is Elizabeth R., the Queen. And it says this, Elizabeth II, Grace of God of the United Kingdom Queen and of her other realms and territories, Defender of the Faith. And then I've got to scratch my head and really think. It says, To our trusty and well-beloved Joseph McCabe, greeting. We repose a special trust and confidence in your loyalty, courage, and good conduct. And by those present, constitute and appoint you to be an officer in our Royal Marines. It goes on to say, and for those that you have under your authority, we command them to obey you as their superior officer. And for you to observe and follow orders and directions as from time to time you shall receive from us, that's the queen, or your superior officers according to the rules and disciplines of war in pursuance of the trust reposed in you. It's called the Queen's Commission. You know, to this day in our military, when officers are saluted, it's not the officer that's being saluted. It's the Queen's Commission. The fact that you have her authority and represent her trust. But you know, we have a greater authority. A greater authority. We heard, we read, we have the authority of Christ. We are his ambassadors. He appoints us to represent him. And that's you too. That's the authority we have from Christ. Because he died for us and he loves us. The second of those is that Christ gives us peace for ourselves. You know, that's a hard one. People struggle. People struggle greatly with what's going on in their lives, what's going on in their lives. But Jesus says, I'm not necessarily going to change the circumstances, but I'm with you in it, and I will bring you peace. We're free and empowered to live and to love God and others. We're empowered to live as a new creation, to let go of the past, 
and to trust God for the future. It says in the Gospel of John, recording Jesus, if the Son of Man sets you free, you will be free indeed. We're free of sin, of death, and its hold on us. It doesn't mean we won't have hardship. It doesn't mean we won't do wrong things. But God's wiped the slate clean. We're not imprisoned by our past. That's important. We can let it go and move on trusting in Christ. It's hard, but it's there. Jesus, in the Gospel of John, the night before he was crucified, said this. I have told you these things so that you will have my peace. But you will have trouble in this world. But take heart, I have overcome the world. We are going to face trouble. Jesus did. The night he said those words, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying, take this cup from me. He was sorrowful and anguish, but he prayed. Jesus encourages us to have peace with others. The Bible is full of that. The Old Testament, turn from evil and do good. Matthew, blessed are the peacemakers. Romans, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Peter, they must turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Christ wants us to be peace bringers. You, like me, won't have the privilege of sitting at a table with governments negotiating peace, but you will have disagreements with family, with friends, with neighbours, with church family. We have to be peacemakers in that. We have to be peacemakers. You know, Jesus also said he wasn't going to bring peace for everyone. There would be division. There would be division between those who accept him and those who don't. He says that in Matthew. And we must be ready when we preach the gospel to accept that some people will reject it and reject us. They will reject the offer of peace. But we still have to make it. We have to make it to tell people about Jesus. And in our own lives, we have to offer peace when we've been hurt. It's a choice. It's a choice. You know, if we're going to build the kingdom, we have to make that choice and do it. Spiritual warfare is real. The Bible talks about peace, but paradoxically, it also talks about war. A lot about war. Spiritual war. And we're all involved in that. We will be tempted to walk a different path and we need to stay true to Christ. A man called William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, said this in his final sermon. He was 83 years old, and in front of 7,000 people, he said, while women weep as they do now, I'll fight 
Why little children go hungry as they do now, I'll fight. While men go to prison in and out, in and out as they do now, I'll fight. While there's a drunkard left, while there's a poor lost girl in the streets, while there remains one dark soul without the light of God, I'll fight to the very end. We're called to be ambassadors for peace, to live peace, but we're also called to fight in a spiritual battle. And St. Jude's perhaps encapsulates John Booth's speech in its values. Growing faith, offering hope, and sharing God's love. We have to walk in that. We have to do it. We have to remember the power to do it comes from Christ and what he did for us in the cross and in his resurrection. Jesus, on the night before he died, said this. And you can see it there. He's still saying the same today. He leaves us his peace. And he's alive and still gives us his peace. His first appearance to the disciples in a locked room, his first words were, peace be with you. Peace be with you. And he's still saying that to us today. I'm going to ask the band to come up. I don't know if they're there already. And we're going to sing, Be Thou My Vision. It's a song in which there's lots of military things. Because we are called to stand firm in God's peace, but to fight a spiritual battle to bring peace and his kingdom. So let's just stand now. And before they break in, I'm just going to pray this prayer. It's a prayer that Tear Fund have written, and it's this. God of unity, connection, togetherness. When divisions arise and conflict takes hold, help us to dethrone ourselves, to look for the common good, to seek the greater good, to let go of me and mine and embrace us and ours. When we're faced with challenges, such as extreme poverty, war, disaster, and climate. Help us to work as one, to embrace our shared humanity, to see that the path ahead is in our togetherness and in you, and to let go of me and embrace us and others. God, I love you. I don't want to be shown to be a liar. When I find other people difficult, when I'm tempted to anger, unforgiveness, or even hatred, help me to let go, to see your face in everyone, to share your love with everyone, to let go of me and mine, to embrace you, to embrace us and ours. In Jesus' name, amen.